You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome to this digital house church season here with us at Reality Honolulu. And uh, just so grateful to have you join us this morning and it's great to be with you. Uh, My name is Riz, the pastor here at Reality Honolulu, and uh, that was my wife Zoe leading worship. And uh, we're coming to you from our house. That was inside our house leading worship. This is outside in our yard. And uh, we're with it. We're in it with you, just house to house coming to you. And uh, even in the midst of this really strange and uh, even difficult season, we really believe that instead of like wasting it and just you know, anticipating like, when can it be over? When can it be over? When can it be over? That God really wants to, in the midst of it, do new things and move in unique ways in each of us that perhaps he wouldn't or that wouldn't have happened in us and through us if all this wasn't happening. And as a pastor, uh, I get the honor and privilege to be involved in here, uh, sometimes even first, of the things that God is doing in our church family. Again, sometimes those are hardships and difficulties uh, and really hard moments. But in the midst of it, what what I've heard and seen this season is that God is doing some really beautiful heart work. Um, It's hard, but it's beautiful and right and good and it's refining, but He's doing that in all of us, in a lot of us, as well as using us to love on others in our community in really profound and radical ways. And before we get into our time in the Word this morning, uh, in the midst of all that you're feeling, uh, the restlessness and the anxiety and the fear and the confusion, exhaustion, uh, maybe I'm speaking to you parents right there, but Whatever it is that you're feeling, have felt in it, or will feel tomorrow, I want you to know that God wants to meet you like in that, in the midst of all of what you're feeling, what you're going through, that God really wants to speak to you and minister to you, and he wants to teach all of us new things and refine us, and he wants us to grow and become more like him. And the question that I want to have us ask ourselves is what is the Holy Spirit uh, what is this Holy Spirit wanting to do in me? What is the Holy Spirit trying to speak to me in this season or even teach me in this season? And instead of just anxiously waiting for this all to be over, let's not waste this time that the sovereign God has allowed to happen. But rather, let's press into God and allow Him to meet us uh, in this. Amen? All right. Well, one last thing before we get into the Word is if you're wondering anything about reality or have questions of how do I get plugged in or you need prayer or any financial uh, burden or or if you're encountering financial hurt right now, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out and uh, contact us. Kind of everything you need to know, whether it's information or something upcoming or way in which to contact us is uh, through the website, Reality 
Honolulu.com is the best place to go for all things. Um, but without further ado, as we always do each and every Sunday, let's open up the Word of God to the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 22 is going to be our text this morning. So please grab your Bible or open up your Bible app. I would love for you to follow along with us as we go ahead and read this. So Acts 4, 1 through 22, reading out of the NIV translation, says this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was uh, Cyphus, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, What is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Okay, so here's what's happening. This section of text here in Acts 4 is a continuation of what was happening in Acts chapter 3 that we've been with the last that we've been in the last few weeks. 
So if you weren't with us or away as a way of reminder, the last two weeks in Acts chapter 3, the previous chapter, what we saw was two of the original disciples, followers of Jesus, Peter and John, they're newly empowered by the Spirit of God. And what they do is they head to this traditional afternoon prayer meeting at the temple. And on their way in, this 40-year-old man that's been crippled um, from birth, he's begging for money at the temple gates. And this man, this, 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 this man that's begging, he asks Peter and John, these kind of random guys to him, walking by for money. And it isn't money what they give him. They give him something far better. They ask him to stretch out his hand, and this man gives his hand to them. And he says, in the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, step up, stand up. And this man not only stands up, he leaps. And he not only starts walking, he, he runs and he leaps for joy in the temple courts among the crowds gathered there. And those that see this man, they are, they are in shock. They are in awe of what they're seeing. Because they couldn't believe this same man who they knew so well that every day as they passed into the temple, they saw him begging, now was miraculously healed and praising God. And our story goes on, <coughs> excuse me, which we saw last week that Peter and John, they explain to the crowds what happens and, and what had happened to this man. And they end up giving this strong case that it was by the power of the risen Jesus that the Son of God, the Messiah, had given this very man life and strength and healed this man this day. And as we enter chapter 4, which we just read, we see the story pick up right where it just left off. And what we see here in the first few verses of chapter 4 is a very mixed reaction to the truth of who Jesus is. The very thing that Peter and John just described to them at the end of chapter 3, we see a very mixed response to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. Some believed and received, and some did not. And uh, they actually were persecuted, right? The followers of Jesus were persecuted for speaking about Jesus. And it's much like the world today. Right? Not everyone believes. We all have a choice as to whether we believe what the Bible says to who God is and what Jesus did. Um, and we have a choice to believe that or not. And here in our text, what happens is it says that the priests, the captain of the guard, and the Sadducees, they seize them. And they throw them in jail until morning so that they could answer for what they had done. So this man is miraculously healed. It's drawn a crowd because everyone's in awe. Peter and John describe what's happened. The truth of what happened is, is that Jesus healed this man. Not everybody receives it. The captain guard, the priest, the Sadducees, they seize them. They throw them in jail until morning. But at the very same instant, right, that's pretty traumatic. That's pretty harsh. It's pretty abrupt. In the same instant, in these first few verses of Acts chapter 4, it says that many came to faith. Right? These devout Jews at this traditional Jewish prayer meeting, they begin to connect the dots. 
this Jesus of Nazareth that was just crucified, but now is risen from the dead, is indeed the Son of God. He's the promised Messiah and the Savior, the one who was promised would come through the line of David. This, is the G- this Jesus is truly the Son of God promised to them by the prophets and their forefathers in the Torah. And it says that the church grew to 5,000 strong. And that's at least just the men. Who knows how many women and children were added to that number, but the church is getting some traction. Right, remember, um, not long ago before this, there was only 120 of the followers of Jesus in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls upon the church. They're anointed, empowered. Peter gives this sermon, and in an instant, 3,000 get saved. And if not weeks or months later, now it's at least to 5,000 strong. The church is getting traction and people are believing in the life-saving truth of who Jesus is. It's an exciting time in Jerusalem. The gospel is getting forth and it's freeing people and saving people. And our story here today is more or less the trial of these two followers of Jesus, Peter and John. So they spend the night in jail, they're in prison for preaching the gospel, and then they gather, and they gathered, and they're they're questioned about what has happened. And the questioning starts out by this, by their most important question in verse 7. They sit him down, they're arrested at this time, they're on trial. By what power... Or by what name did you do this? Was this man healed? And verse 8 is very important. It says, Peter, not just ordinary fisherman Peter, but Peter who is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key to all this. Peter filled with the third person of the Trinity, the very presence and power of God in him, begins to speak. He then explains, as he had just done the afternoon before in front of the crowds, that this man that's now standing in their midst is healed by the kindness and the power of Jesus Christ. It's by the love, compassion, and person of the Son of God that this man is miraculously healed, and he's standing here today. And and as he finishes this, The next verse, verse 13, is perhaps one of my favorite verses of all of Scripture. They hear this response from the empowered uh, Peter. And in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. All right, stop right there. So after hearing the explanation, hearing Peter's response, not only the content, but the manner of the presentation that Peter gave in front of this council, they were in awe and moved by his response. And you have to remember who was doing the questioning and it was putting the trial on, right? These were the legalistic, well-trained, well-educated, well-versed religious elites. And they took grave offense at what they had thought 
to be challenging to their own idea of who God was or God wasn't. They were on, these men were on trial before the legalistic, well-versed, well-educated, legalistic, religious elites. And these men, Peter and John, uh, they were salty dogs, right? They were fishermen from Galilee, which is like up country, far away from the big metropolis of Jerusalem. You could say they were uncivilized, for some maybe not respected. They, they, they obviously were not trained. They were super flawed. Remember, Peter had just denied Jesus. He wasn't dependable. But they were going for it in front of these religious, holier-than-thou, legalistic leaders. These leaders were blown away. Who, who could this be? This can't be happening. By what power are you saying and standing up these things, uh, standing up for these things with? Like you're just Peter and John. You're uneducated, you're ordinary, but you speak with such courage and boldness and resilience. Their assessment is that these men, the only way that this could have happened is that they had to have spent ample time in the very presence of Jesus in order to act like this. And it wasn't that they just knew Jesus intellectually, but even these, 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 these men that are putting these men on trial, they see the very character and heart and power and authority that Jesus had, these ordinary, flawed, uneducated followers of Jesus also had. They not only had intellectual boldness, but they had courage of character to speak these truths in front of this very powerful council. And here is the main idea of what I want us to get out of this today. That being in the presence of God changes you. It changes you into being like Him. That being in the presence of God changes us. See, this idea of withness, right? They had been with Jesus. This idea of withness, a.k.a. connection and oneness with God, is what creates and fosters transformation. I'm talking about holistic, full-bodied life transformation is what changes our lives to actually look more like the life of Jesus. And if you go back and you recall the very first sermons, the very first subjects or portions of scripture that we studied in the book of Acts is that we spent a few weeks talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. See, we see from scripture that when you are saved, when you believe and you receive that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, when you surrender your life to Jesus and your sins are forgiven, what the Bible tells us is that we're given the third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in the form of the Spirit. Now God dwells in us. Paul would describe us now as the temple of the Holy Spirit. The very same temple these Jews were going to meet God with at this prayer meeting, now because of the Jesus' finished work upon the cross, the actual full presence of God dwells in us. 
we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So incredible and something that we should absolutely trip out about for sure. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit in us is to sanctify us, right? In other words, it's to transform us, to refine us, so that our lives begin to emulate or be like or copy the life of Jesus in everything from our thoughts to our speech to our actions to the way we respond to others, how we live our life. When people see us, they would say, wow, wait a second, I don't see Riz. I don't see fill in the blank with your name. I see Jesus in them. It's as if they've been with Jesus and they're no longer like themselves. They're like the one who saved them. This is the very thing that is happening here in Acts. They are seeing Jesus in Peter and John. And again, by created order, we as humans were created by the creator God of the Bible. Woman and man are created in the very image of God. Right? Our design, and by design, we were created that, that our lives would be like the life of Jesus. And when we don't live into that, when we sin, when we rebel, when we live selfishly and independently outside of God's plans, it hurts us. It hurts others. It hurts the whole fabric of society because we are going against a created design. We know this. Anything that you use for something different than it was created, what happens is, is it ultimately breaks down and it becomes even uh, you can't even use it at all anymore, especially for the purpose it was created. Anything in life. The same is true for us. But how all of this transformation and change happens in us and is cultivated and it occurs is with this idea of withness. I don't want to skip over that. See, this idea here that we see in Peter John is the very idea that, that being in the presence of God is what makes us more like Him. Uh, it's very similar when um, you have a best friend or a mentor or an auntie or uncle or even your spouse, that, that when, you, when you love this person or uh, you look up to them or respect them and you spend a lot of time with them, there's usually either an unsaid or a said notion that you want to be like them. There's things in that person's life. The reason why you love them and care about them and respect them and look up to them is because you want to be like them. You want to do things like they do. Because you love, the, you love them and you're around them, what happens, and maybe it's really apparent and obvious when we're kids, but when we have friends that we're around that we love and look up to, we begin to talk like them and we say the same phrases and we, we all of a sudden adopt similar style, styles and we dress similar and we have the same interests. We begin to also act like people in our life that we love and care for and respect and look up to. And again, those are small and probably imperfect examples, but you get the idea. See, what happens 
when we ourselves cultivate time with God, when we are intentional to get to know God, when we listen for Him to speak, when we pray, when we worship, right? This is cultivating connection. Like when we're, we are created for connection with God and one another. And when we're with Him, we begin to become like Him. And again, connection, withness, oneness, whatever you want to call it, with God, it's always the goal. And all of these practices are good, but they're a means to end. When I mean practices, I mean everything like prayer and worship and reading the Bible. They're wonderful practices, but the goal in doing these things is actually to become closer to God is to create withness with him, to spend time with him, to talk with him, to hear from him. And as we cultivate being in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to make us more like him. It's the very thing we see here playing out in Acts chapter 4. Church, what the world needs now is more of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Can you please say amen in your living room with me on your TV screen right now? That's what the world needs. It needs more of Jesus. And unfortunately, all of what's going on has become just so political, right? So divisive, deadly on a physical and in even other levels. And what the world needs more than ever is to be shown and told of the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And listen up. The greatest vehicle, the greatest way of distribution to the world about Jesus, the greatest vehicle for the world to know Jesus is through us. It's through his people. It's through our lives and our speech and through our actions. And to use what happens here in the book of Acts as an example, the entirety of what's happening here in Acts, right? How the church functions, how the followers of Jesus act, and even with the healing of this man in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, all of it is being done out of kindness, generosity, and love. Right, if you had to stand back and describe the early church, which we have done, which we will continue to do next week. But if you're going to sum up the core values that they were practicing regularly in every scenario, in every interaction, it would be kindness, generosity, and love. It's no strings attached for everyone around them, inside and outside of the church, from the temple beggar to the fellow Christian. They didn't even think twice about it. Even after arrest and imprisonment and trial and far worse, which we'll see in the book of Acts, far worse persecution to the point of death, they just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Even here, like on trial, they warned them, you need to stop talking about Jesus and what he can do for you. 
And they just straight out say, I can't and I won't do that because Jesus' life was marked with kindness, generosity, and love. And that is the very thing that the whole world needs to know is the life-saving, life-giving truth of who Jesus is. Church, by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, I implore you, it's a fancy word for I beg of you right now, to cultivate withness with Jesus. And again, it's learned. How to be with Jesus and know God and hear from Him and speak to Him. It's learned like any relationship. It's not a science. It's not totally an art. Like any other relationship, it takes time and attention and effort to foster and cultivate withness with God. But do not neglect it. Do not neglect Jesus. And trying to cultivate it the best that you know how. My encouragement, what I want to encourage us this morning is to allow God's presence and His Holy Spirit to transform us into the man or woman that God created us to be. That through us, the world may know the life-saving, life-giving love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And as we enter this time of worship, which if you're new, what we do after the Word of God is we have a time of response where we spend a few songs worshiping our God for who He is and what He's done and how He's spoken to us. So stick around for that. We have some, a few words at the end, so stick around for that also. But during this time of worship, whereas the lyrics are on the screen and we're singing in our living rooms and our homes together, as we're meditating and dwelling and being reminded of who our God is and what He did for us, what we're going to do, like we've done every single Sunday thus far, is as a church, we're going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross through communion. So if you have uh, elements in your house, anything like bread or crackers and anything like juice and wine, go ahead and grab those. And what we want to do is during this time of worship, whenever it feels right, whenever you can, to create space, to take a moment as you take a bread or a cracker, to remember that Christ's body was broken for you, and as you take a juice or wine, to remember His blood that was spilt for us on our behalf at the cross. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, as you take communion, do it in remembrance of me. Church, I want to thank you for joining us. I'm going to pray for our time of worship. And please, as we enter into worship, let's uh, press into our God and receive all that he has for us right now. Amen. God, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you that in it we see ourselves, that we too are ordinary and flawed and broken. But those of us that are believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we're more aware, God, than, than maybe any season that you want to transform us into your image. You want us to become more like you. And God, I, I pray that in each of our lives that we would be with you. That we would know you. That we would cultivate relationship with you. 
so that just like Peter and John, when people see us, they would say, wow, who, who is that? It looks like they've been with Jesus. Allow us to be your vehicles, your witnesses, your ambassadors to this world that so badly needs you. We pray that you'd be uh, magnified and glorified and exalted in this time of worship now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.